0: to worship with you on this uh, Lord's Day, Um, has already been noted in worship today is Palm Sunday, the day that Jesus uh, was publicly announced to be the King of the Jews. And of course, um, next Sunday as you celebrate um, is Easter, the day that God confirmed that Jesus was King of all by raising Jesus From the dead. And between those two bookend Sundays, Palm Sunday on the one end and Easter on the other, uh, there is Good Friday, the crucifixion of Jesus. As we know, Jesus was killed on a cross and for three days remained in the grave. The time between Palm Sunday and Easter is a time to sit. Lament a terrible loss, and then wait. And how long, O Lord, is the cry uh, during this week? Um, This past week, tragedy unfolded at one of our sister churches um, in the PCA Covenant Presbyterian Academy, Covenant Presbyterian Church in Nashville. Three young children, three adults, were murdered by a shooter who entered their building Monday morning while school was in session. This tragedy has propelled those families, the churches, the people of Nashville, and indeed the country into lament. That echoes the lament of Good Friday. How long, O oh Lord, how long, O oh Lord, will parents and families suffer the loss of their loved ones? How long, O oh Lord, will evil sin and brokenness scar the beauty that is your good Creation, how long, O oh Lord. Chad Scruggs, the senior pastor at Covenant, who lost his daughter in that tragedy, issued the following statement to the media. Through tears we trust that she is in the arms of Jesus who will raise her to life once again. See, through tears we trust, those are the words of those who lament. Chad knows that his tears, the tears of his family and the tears of all those who lost loved ones on that tragic day won't be fully wiped out until Jesus returns again and raises us all to eternal life. As we come to this Holy Week, do this. Take time to lament the brokenness that is this world, the brokenness that we experience in our own lives take time to do that jesus was in the grave for three days the world was silent during that time and then look forward to the promise of easter where god raised jesus from the dead a signal that all things will be made new once again through tears we trust let's pray Our hearts break for the families of the six whose lives were taken in this terrible act of evil. Pour out your comfort upon those who bear unimaginable pain. Lord, be merciful to the families, to Covenant Presbyterian Academy, to Covenant Presbyterian Church. Lord, we ask that you come quickly. In your name we pray. Amen. Um, What I'd like to do now is turn our attention to our text this morning. Our text comes from Psalm 51. Uh, You may follow along in your bulletin, or if you would like, uh, if you have brought your Bibles, please uh, follow along there, or if you have your app, you certainly can do that as well. First of all, in a different font, if you're looking at a Bible or a Bible app, we, we see these words, to the choir master a psalm of David when Nathan the prophet went to him after David had gone into Bathsheba. Now starting in verse 1. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. Do good design in your good pleasure, then build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will delight in right sacrifices, in burnt offerings, and whole and burnt offerings. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. This ends the uh, reading of God's word. For me, um, preaching, this is a bit of a confession, for me, preaching on Psalm 51 is sort of like trying to take a photograph of the uh, Grand Canyon. Um, The Grand Canyon was one of the most uh, breathtaking vistas, breathtaking views that I had ever seen. I remember my first visit. It wasn't very long ago, about six years ago, and when I came from the parking lot and walked out to one of the... Uh, places where you can see the canyon, I I was in awe. It was so vast, immense, and it had this kind of um, otherworldly beauty to it. Now, photography is my hobby, and I was on a business trip, but I had made sure to bring my gear. And so after looking at the canyon for a while, I pulled my camera out of the bag, looked for a lens, put the lens on the camera, raised the camera to take a picture and I started taking some pictures and then I put the camera down to my side I realized this that I did not know how to take a picture of the Grand Canyon and uh, that was confirmed when I got home to my gracious wife Jenny and to my family who sat through slide after slide or or, uh, you know projection up on the TV projection of just lots of rocks that are brown against this brown background with kind of a blue sky and then some more rocks with a background and it was just clear there was no way I could capture the majesty of what I had seen um, in that moment. That's kind of my history (laughs) on preaching uh, Psalm 51 and for those of you who have a a a redeemer background with me uh, I apologize in advance for uh, for that. Psalm 51 uh, puts before us something incredibly crucial. How is an individual right with God? And we'll go into that in a little more detail. Um, It's vast, it's beautiful, it's immense. But to communicate this clearly, particularly in a sermon, I would say this has been a bit of a challenge uh, for me. Once again, uh, a few years later, I had the opportunity to revisit the Grand Canyon And I brought my camera gear again, took a little extra time on the front end of a business trip. But the second time, I was more prepared. Instead of trying to capture the vastness of the canyon, what I did is I looked for storylines that would capture my attention. And one of those storylines was the sun coming up over the horizon and hitting the rock formation in a particular way that just provided all these vivid colors against that that what was in the midday just brown rock. Or it was watching people go down the trail in the distance into the canyon floor um, in a single line while they are riding pack mules. See a story. Or against all that rock and In that depth, you see the bright blue Colorado River that had carved all that into the canyon. You see, those pictures were much more compelling because I had a story to tell. As we come to Psalm 51, the lesson I've learned is this, that we need to look at the story that's being told. Previously, and this isn't wrong, I think I would come to this and say, well, you know, King David repented, he did some pretty bad things, but I guess we need to repent too. And honestly, there's a, there is a truth to that. Um, but that doesn't, that doesn't move us deep enough into what's going on in Psalm 51. So what we have to do is we come to the psalm, we have to look for the clues that are provided for us to understand the story of, that not only King David wants to tell, but that God himself wants to tell us this morning. And the first clue is this, and it's, it's found in the fact that Psalm 51 has this introduction. And I want you to grab your bulletin, your worship guide, or it's in your app too, or it's in your physical Bible if you have one. You'll see that in different font typically, it's not in different font here, but it's before um, verse 1, there is an introduction. Many of the Psalms have introductions. Theologians and Bible scholars call these things superscriptions. all right, uh, Superscriptions, and they're distinguished from the main text by the use of, like I said, this different font. And I can say this with a lot of confidence. Scholars affirm the dependability and hence the value of these superscriptions. They help us by providing context, and that's what we hear, have here with the superscription from Psalm 51. And let me read it, and you can read along with me. A psalm of David. David is the king of Israel. When Nathan the prophet went to him after he had gone into Bathsheba. This first clue about our story points us in a very troubling direction. And I want to handle this with propriety, but this superscription describes multiple and heinous sins that David committed, has documented in 2 Samuel eleven and twelve. As many of you know, if you're familiar uh, with the history of King David, uh, David set in motion a plot to murder a man loyal to him. That's terrible enough, and he did this because of this man's wife. And even though conventional thinking seems to believe that David and Bathsheba had a consensual affair in his adultery, my best readings of these two chapters in 2 Samuel 2 may point to the fact that David assaulted Bathsheba. David saw her on the rooftop. There is no indication that Bathsheba gave David permission to gaze upon her. There is no indication that Bathsheba had a choice in going to David's palace when the servants came to take her to them. And we, through that superscription, are brought front and center, it's brought to our attention these heinous sins that David, king of Israel, has committed. They're, they're right before us as we approach the psalm. There's no sweeping these sins under the rug and moving on. And so my first reaction as I've reflected on this is, this is not a person that I would want to spend time with. God might have forgiven him, but, that, but what is it about him that would make me want to move to someone who m- killed, had murdered his best friend, and then possibly assaulted his wife? That's our first clue, okay? Um, What's provided for us in in the superscription is how we're to approach Psalm 51. Second clue is this. This is not a psalm about personal uh, repentance. This is a royal psalm. In other words, David here is not speaking as every person. David here is speaking as God's anointed the king of Israel. And kings, repenting or not repenting, provides the most broad context in which King David offers his prayer of repentance in Psalm 51. Now, a brief history lesson here. Again, I'll mention uh, First Samuel, or I'll mention Samuel uh, 13. The prophet Samuel tells King Saul that God is taking away Saul's kingship over Israel and giving it to another. So, Saul was in place as king. Saul did something, and then Saul is to be replaced by another. And so we hear Samuel saying this to Saul. You have done foolishly. You have not kept the command of the Lord your God with which he commanded you. And then the Lord would, for then the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. But now your kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought a man After his own heart, and the Lord has commanded him to be prince over his people, because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. Three chapters later in 1 Samuel, David is the one whom the Lord declares to be a man after God's own heart. And this is confirmed with the installation of David as king. Saul is king. Saul does something that displeases God. David's now put into the place of Saul. Samuel is instructed to go to a man from Bethlehem named Jesse because God intends to make one of Jesse's sons king over Israel. And so Jesse brings his son to Samuel one by one, and he's basically saying, this is the prototypical king Samuel. I'm going to present my best son first and bring him forward. But God says this when these sons of Jesse are brought before Samuel. And listen closely. Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his statue, stature or because I, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as the man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. And when the sons of Jesse, one by one, are brought forward to Samuel, God says to Samuel, the Lord has not chosen chosen these. And then David is brought before Samuel, and we read this. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. And the Spirit, listen to this, the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. David was the chosen one. And then we read, one verse later, Now the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, an evil spirit from the Lord tormented him. Okay? That's a lot of background right there, okay? Okay? But this is the transition that's happening. All of Samuel's about, will kings repent or they, will they not repent? This is the backdrop of uh, Psalm 51. And we know that this is what David himself is reflecting upon. Right in the middle of his prayer of repentance, we read the following. Look at verses 10 and 11. See, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit, within me cast me not away from your presence why was he why was he pleading that not happen because Saul was cast from his presence but not only that and take not your Holy Spirit from me because what did he see he saw the Holy Spirit being removed from the presence of Saul and then rushing upon him okay that's What makes this particularly and should be a signal to us that this is a royal psalm and not a personal psalm of repentance. We don't have to pray, don't take your Holy Spirit from me. We have the promise of the Holy Spirit, and we'll talk about that in a moment. This is a unique psalm, uniquely situated for the kings of Israel. So, now we've got to step back and say, if this is the context this horrendous heinous sins that david committed and in conjunction with his installation as king over israel what basis then is david offering up his prayer and then the bigger question for us this morning is what can we learn since i don't know about you but i have not been you know ordained and installed as the king of israel and i can safely assume you haven't either and we might want to say this and I think this is where I kind of have gotten off track in the past we'd say well David's repentant heart is why we can call David a man after God's own heart and so what I want to do I kind you know I'm not as bad as David I've done some pretty nasty things but but I didn't I didn't kill my best friend for his wife I, di- I didn't assault another human being. So I guess if David can offer up a prayer of repentance and God has to listen to it, since my, my, his sins were kind of these big ones and mine are these little ones, I should be okay. And so we walk away thinking that's what we're to take away from Psalm 51. And I think in our heart of hearts we realize that really doesn't sustain me, okay? Okay. Um, Because if you really knew who I was, you'd see the darkness of my heart. And it's not that different from King David. We think repentance is about alignment. And we say David was a man after God's own heart because David had this alignment with God because of his repentance. Here's the problem with that thinking. Um, it turns David into an example to follow, and the superscription tells us he is not the example to follow. It lays it out there before the prayer begins. Then we make the next step, which is, okay, so I'm reading this so that I know how to repent, and I can repent like King David, and somehow that will set me straight with God. Now, now, We have to understand, David himself didn't see this going on in this psalm. David himself confesses that heart alignment is not the issues. His problems run much deeper than that. Verse 10, let me read it again. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. What is he asking for in that petition? See, David's not asking for a realigned heart. He is asking for the creation of a clean heart. Something totally new. Likewise, as we come to the Lord in repentance, we shouldn't be looking for the realignment or the alignment of our heart. We need to be looking towards the creation of a new heart within us. See, that's taking our sin and our brokenness seriously. Repentance is not about alignment the alignment of our heart with God's heart, but our need for a new heart. And I think this will make it really clear, hopefully, and drive it home. When Scripture describes David as a man after God's own heart, it's not a statement about David's character. It's a statement about God's choice. Let me say that again. When Scripture describes David as the man after God's own heart, he is not making a statement about character, David's character. He's making a statement about God's choice. See, David, even as he sits in the midst of the heinous sins that he committed and that he didn't even confess unprovoked, Nathan Nathan the prophet had to come to him, he has been chosen by God. God's heart is bound to David's heart. God doesn't look at the surface of a person and then make his decision to bind his heart to that person. God binds himself to us heart to heart. This explains why David begins a psalm with the words from verse 1. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. See, Mercy is based on God's abiding and choosing love. Two hearts bound together, God's and David's. Likewise for us, our hearts with God's. God's choosing of David is foundational for his repentance. And David's repentance follows from God's choice of him. But God's choosing of us will transform us as we repent, but it is not the foundation of of our repentance right we will be transformed as we repent but it is not the foundation of who we are with respect to God so here's the question then Psalm 51 all scripture is for us how does this psalm of rep- repentance apply to us I think I've already made the case we haven't been anointed to be king of Israel um, how do we know that these words uh, about who God is for David Apply to us. How can looking at David in Psalm 51 be more, more than just an example? Here's how. See, David in this psalm is pointing us to our true King. We can pray Psalm 51, and we can make it our own because we belong to Jesus, and Jesus is truly the One after the Man after God's own heart. See, David knew. He was chosen by God because he was anointed and installed as king. We know that we are chosen by God because we belong to Jesus. And Jesus is the man after God's own heart. Jesus at his baptism, God says, Matthew 3:17, This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Jesus at his transfiguration, once, we, once again we hear God saying, This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. And, of course, the ultimate confirmation of God's good pleasure, of God's choosing of Jesus, is what we'll be celebrating uniquely next Sunday, the Sunday of Sundays, Resurrection Sunday, Easter Sunday. In his first sermon on the resurrection of Jesus, in Acts 2, Peter declares... Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Messiah. That is the anointed one. This Jesus whom you crucified. See, Jesus is God's choice and the resurrection is the proof that Jesus is truly the man after God's own heart. And here's the wonderful thing. We belong to Jesus And therefore, God's choice of us can't be undone. And we sang about that in God's providence, this wonderful song, God for us. Listen to the chorus. Sing with joy now, for God is for us. The Father's love is a strong and mighty fortress. Raise your voice now, no love is greater. Who can stand against us if our God is for us? That's how we came into worship, celebrating and praising God for being that kind of God towards us. We belong to God and nothing can undo that. And Paul reflects on this as does this hymn in Romans 8 when he says, For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, or anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. See Psalm 51 can be our prayer because Jesus has secured our belonging to God. David knew at the core of uh, knew that the core of Psalm 51 was not about the transformation of his character as he repented. The core of Psalm 51 is the heart of a God that chose him in love. Even as David spoke about his broken bones rejoicing, he was pointing himself and us towards someone greater whose bones would be broken on his and our behalf. See, Psalm 51 is not first about offering our repentance, but a reflection upon God's love and mercy and steadfastness, as David tells us, in the opening verse, and all that towards us. God's choice of us and Jesus is secured by God's Spirit, and it's the foundation of our repentance. When we reverse that order, we're gonna do serious damage to our spiritual life. So, what's the practical outworking of all these things? Well, it's the longing of Easter, it's to move beyond the lament of Good Friday, verses 18 and 19. Do good design in your good pleasure build up the walls of Jerusalem and then you will delight in right sacrifices and burnt offerings the whole burnt offerings and then bulls will be offered on your altar see David understands the order of things notice uh, he doesn't he see, he sees that a proper functioning sacrificial system isn't the stuff that brings renewal it's actually a sign that renewal is taking place things in their proper order. That's why David can say a couple verses earlier, verse 16, for you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. So where does that leave us? What's our takeaway? The answer is found in a verse that is so well known to us, but has to be interpreted in light of who Jesus is for us. Verse 17, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit a broken and contrite heart, God, oh God, you will not despise. As I've prepared this sermon, um, I, 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 I want to condemn, my heart wants to condemn David for his deplorable actions. Um, but in condemning David, I, I'm only condemning myself. And, and I need to learn what David understood, which is this it wasn't about his character, it was about God's choice. See, a person with a broken spirit is one that begins the journey of repentance through an understanding that it's not about them. And that's our good news this morning as we sang in our opening song. God does not despise me. See, that's that's what I need to learn from this psalm. I don't need to learn that if I kind of repent and I'm not as bad as David, then God should really hear my repentance. It'll work out. No, as I look at my heart, I can say this, that God does not despise me. And I can say this, if you have placed your faith in Jesus, God does not despise you either. And that's what we need to hear. God does not despise me. God does not despise you. Because we have been bound to God's own heart through the life, death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus. And that's why we celebrate Easter, even in the midst of living good Friday because he's got a hold of us because of Jesus we aren't men and women and boys and girls after God's own heart because we repent and somehow align ourselves with God we are men and women and boys and girls after God's own heart because God has chosen us and because he's chosen us means we can move towards him in repentance we need to look to David not because of his strength of character, but because in his brokenness, David points us to something beyond himself. David points us to Jesus. Jesus is truly and fully the man after God's own heart. Let me uh, me end here with this uh, quote that wonderfully sums up the truth of Psalm 51. And some of you might be familiar with it. It's from Robert Murray McShane. And he wrote this. Learn much of Jesus... Every look at yourself, take ten looks at Christ. He is altogether lovely, such infinite majesty, and yet such meekness and grace, and all for sinners, even the chief. Listen to this: live much in the smiles of God, bask in His beams, feel His all-seeing eye settled on you in love, and repose, and. We don't use that word a lot. It means rest, and rest in his almighty arms. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you um, that we not only can take 10 looks, we can take innumerable looks to Jesus, and we give you thanks for that. We thank you that these times of worship are times where we can be reminded to do just that. And so I'd ask you now, as we can come to the table, uh, that you'd prepare us to see Jesus in this very unique and important way as it sustains us on this journey of life. And we ask this in your name. Um, Amen.